So Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 29 says, By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, and when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. So Rochelle and I have been married nearly 21 years, and when we got married, someone asked us, what do you feel the call on your life is? And the only thing we really could say was the call on our life is the nations. Naturally, Rochelle French, I'm English, two nations were already uh, uh, joining, but also in getting married, Rochelle had already left her nation and become really a missionary into the UK. So one and a half of us was already living as a missionary, having crossed, as it were, the sea, or as it is, literally the sea, to come and be in the UK. And so our calling was, we believe, for the nations. We wanted the nations. And uh, so we were in a church on the east coast of England in Lowestoft, and we, we knew that we were right to be rooted there, but we knew there'd come a day when we would go abroad, go to another nation to serve another nation. And so we spent our first eight years really preparing, our first eight years of marriage preparing for the day that we would go and cross over to another place. And so our whole strategy was to prepare to go to the nations, to bring the gospel to the nations. And it it impacted everything, including our financial planning. So we were saving and saving and saving because we knew one day God would say, now here's your green light to go to another nation. After eight years, we had a call that was just the right one to go to Denmark to serve an international English-speaking church. And if you imagine eight years of preparation, we still remember the day we had this little white courser and we were staying at our friend's house the day before we were getting the boat to go to Denmark and we reversed out of their drive and waved to say goodbye, we're leaving the UK, we are now going to the nations, we're now going to Denmark and the car, this little white courser, was absolutely packed with everything we needed because our, we were going to live in a room, just one room, until we could find a house. And so everything we needed for us as a couple and for our new baby needed to be in this courser. And we still remember little Fleur, who was not even a year old, squished into the side of this courser with hardly any room apart from her little chair. And there was pram, push chairs, everything needed, the food for this journey. And we got on the boat to go to Denmark, and we was, it was, a, I think, a nine-hour crossing, so we slept on the boat, and there was this amazing, terrifying moment when we woke up the next day to the sound of, we are now arriving in Espierre in Denmark. And for, for many of you sitting here, you come from other nations, so... You remember probably the moment when you arrived at Heathrow, Gatwick, other airports, and, and you knew that you're, you had left behind everything you knew. You're nodding. Many of you know this experience. You've left behind everything you knew. And this boat was arriving into Espierre docks in Denmark, and we knew we'd left our whole life behind. Well, Rochelle had already done this. 
you're marrying me. <laughs> She'd already left everything she knew to make a home in, de- in England, and now together we were leaving everything we knew to arrive in a country where we didn't understand the language, the culture, and couldn't read. And we knew that was where we were going into. So as the boat pulled into the port, there was a sense of, wow, the old has really gone. And the new has really come. We're going to have to learn how to read. We're going to need to learn how to speak. We didn't. And when we first got to Copenhagen, we couldn't even read the names of products. We couldn't even work out the pricing of anything. We were such in a new place. I remember, you no know, call centres where they say dial one four, dial two four, dial three four. I didn't understand a word they said, so I just pressed the first button and hoped that somebody might speak English who would attack, connect me to the right department so that I could get through. And so we had left our old life for a brand new life in a brand new nation, a brand new culture, with a brand new language and a brand new way of doing things. And I want us to understand that that is why it says in Hebrews 11, by faith they pass through the Red Sea as on dry land. Because this is a huge moment. It wasn't eight years of preparation. It was 400 plus years of waiting for the promise that God is going to give us a land of our own. In fact, it goes all the way to Abraham, who God says, I'm going to give you this land. And as Katrina reminded us a few weeks ago, that land was full of the Canaanites, and it wasn't yet a land that they could inherit. But God had promised them a land of their own, a land where they would plant, sow, reap, and be their own place. But they've been slaves for 400 years. Cruelly oppressed, cruelly exploited, cruelly dominated. And now they're crossing over from everything they've ever known into a new land. Everything that they've ever known and everything they've ever understood, they crossed over by faith. It was the decisive end to a miserable old life. Into an amazing adventure with God. But it was still scary and it still took faith and trust and confidence in God. And then it says, But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. So you've got this people for centuries waiting for the promise of God to be fulfilled. God opens up a miraculous, supernatural way and provision by opening up the Red Sea. They walk across as on dry land. Behind them is their old slave master who wants to bring them back And when the Egyptians try to recapture and re-subdue a nation, it says the waters closed in and they were all drowned. 
The new had come in a complete sense. There was now no way back. It was a decisive end to everything that had gone before. The Egyptians could no longer rule them, enslave them, dictate to them. There was now no reason for Israel to give Egypt even the time of day in their thinking. It was total. The past was now completely irrelevant to their future. They were now a free people. They were now a nation. They were now a people of resources. Do you remember that as they left Egypt, the Egyptians gave them gold and treasures and clothing. They were a wealthy nation and they were a nation that God was now saying, this is the time, this is the moment, I'm going to fulfill everything I promised. It was an incredible, incredible time for them. So what does that have to do with you and me? Well, Romans 6 tells us that something similar to that has happened to every single believer. And I'm going to base this next section all on Romans 6. So when you get home, you can read through Romans 6. Every single human being when they are born is born into a spiritual slavery every single human being doesn't mean that everything that people do is evil there are very very good people who are still in spiritual slavery and spiritual slavery looks like this it's like being bound by your feet and being bound by your wrists and having a really, really powerful, large person sitting on you and then you try and get up. It's not saying that it's impossible to do good things. People can do amazingly good, generous, kind things and still be in spiritual slavery. And the spiritual master of every human being born on the planet rules and enslaves and dictates and steals, kills and destroys. This is the state of every human being born. And then Paul says in Galatians, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. It was for our liberation. It was such a momentous thing when Egypt or Israel left Egypt because they were leaving a land where they were dictated to, enslaved and captive, where they were cruelly treated. For us to know our joy of our salvation, we have to remember where we came from and we have to remember the state that we were truly in. And it says in Romans 6, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. 
We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised, immersed, plunged into Christ Jesus, were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And that was the state for all of us when Christ found us. Indeed, it could be your state this morning. And maybe you you put band-aids on it and plasters on it and you try to get through life the best way you can. But dear friend, I want to say to you this morning that if you are not in Christ, you are in spiritual slavery by a very, very cruel master. And in Christ, the good news of the gospel in the cross of Christ is not just that Christ died for our sins to pay the, the, the price for the things we've done wrong. It's that also in Christ, we died too. How, how many people were crucified with Christ? How many people? Two. How do you know that there were two people that were crucified with Christ? The Bible tells you so. Who else was crucified with Christ? We were. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so Israel crossed over and Egypt followed and the waters covered Egypt, the Egyptians, and the Egyptians drowned so that the Egyptians could no longer take Israel captive and enslave them again. We died and got raised to a new life. So our old slave master, who would kill, steal and destroy and bound us and sit on us, he no longer can because we died. I have been crucified with Christ and no longer live. Baptism is a picture of the fact we have crossed over from one land into another land. Baptism is a decisive picture that something remarkable, miraculous and amazing has happened in Christ where we have left the old and entered into the new because we were co-crucified with Christ. I died that I might be raised up to new life. The, Paul says it, we were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Then it says in verse 5 of Romans 6, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, 
we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self, that slave self, has been crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, for because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Israel went free because their old slave master was drowned. We got set free because we were co-crucified with Christ. So our old self isn't theoretically dead, it is dead. Yes. You see, when you come to know Jesus, you've not just come to a new way of doing Sundays, or a few new habits, or a few things that you now say yes to, and a couple of things you say no to. You have left the old, and the new has come. Yes. We're a new race on planet Earth. We're not just a religious bunch of people who happen to believe that something happened 2,000 years ago. We're new creation people. We've left the land where we were slaves and now entered into a land of freedom. It is for freedom, liberation, that we have been set free. Our new life begins with a funeral. Our funeral. It's a sense in Hebrews 11, it, the Israelites' new life started with the funeral of the Egyptians. Our new life in Christ begins with our funeral. The old has gone, the new has come. We've buried that old life. In Christ we died to sin and have been raised to a new life. The preoccupation for the believer must be to grow in increasing knowledge of the fact I am dead to the old and alive to the new. That needs to be where all of our energy, where all of our focus, where all of our imagination and all of our our, our thinking needs to go on is I have a new life. You might say, my old life, I had a terrible, terrible temper. Well, dear friend, that old life is buried and dead. You might say, in my old life, if, I, if it wasn't nailed down and screwed down, I would steal it. Well, dear friend, that's the old life, that's a corpse, it's been buried, you're now free to be radically generous. You might say, in my old life... I would swear like a sailor. That's kind of an old saying, isn't it? (laughs) You you say, no, no, that's old. Life is dead. I've got a new life that praises, that blesses, that releases life. You might say, in my old life, I was a gossip. I was negative. I never saw the good in anything. You say, now in my new life, I honour and I praise and I encourage. So often our preoccupation is with what's dead rather than with what's alive. And then Paul says in Romans 6, he says, 
In Romans 8, uh, 6 verse 8, he says, Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he can no longer die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, this is how we live this out. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. In, an, in, a, in, in, a, in, a, in a practical terms, that means to reckon, to calculate, to consider yourself in no other way apart from the old is gone, the new has come. I've died with Christ. I've been raised to new life. I was a slave. Now I'm free. I was controlled by sin. Now I have mastery over sin. Someone once said they were on a plane flying to Spain and as they were about to land, the person said that in Spain it's now one o'clock in the afternoon because Spain is one hour ahead of the UK. Please put your watches forward one hour. It's one o'clock in Spain. It is twelve o'clock in England. It's the reality. He doesn't have to convince himself it's true. It just is true. It's one o'clock here, so think it. He doesn't have to walk around saying it's twelve o'clock. I know it's twelve o'clock, but I've tried to convince myself it's really one o'clock. But I know it's twelve o'clock. But they say it's one o'clock here, so I set my watch. But maybe I'll live by twelve o'clock and won't. Well, I'll ignore that. No, it's just reckon on it, consider it, think it. Because it is one o'clock here. And that's how we're to live this new life that we have in Christ. We're to reckon it, calculate it, consider it no other way. I am dead. I am now alive with Christ. That's who I am. Think of life this way. We are now completely free. We don't have to run little errands for sin. We don't have to do little things connected to our old way of living. We are now completely free to offer our body as instruments of righteousness. That's what it says in verse 13 of chapter, of chapter 6. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to, to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are no, un, no longer under law, but under grace. So freedom means, freedom is we get to choose. Freedom is we get to say yes to God and get to say no to sin. That's the power of the gospel. It liberates us to now having powerful ability to choose what we give ourselves to. So in our old state when we were slaves, we might offer our hands, our eyes, our legs, our feet, our bodies, our imagination to sin. 
to, to imagine how to gratify our bodies through sin. Now we offer our eyes, our thoughts, our imagination, our hands, our legs, our feet. Everything that we are, we offer it all to please God. As an instrument of righteousness. And so the believer is really wonderfully, radically free to not run little errands connected to the old way of life. We are no longer at the beck and call of sin. We have absolutely been radically set free. We no no longer need to give sin the time of day. We no longer need to give sin a vote in how we live our lives. That's how radical the gospel is. We have literally passed over, like in that picture, I used to live in the UK... We used to live in the UK. Now we are going over to begin a new life in a new country with a new language and a new culture. That's what happens to the person in Christ. It would be as foolish as Israel coming out of Egypt and still living with a slave mentality. Still looking for their old master, the Egyptians, to tell them what to do and how to live and how to work. No, you've crossed over as on dry land, and Egypt was drowned behind you, you are now a free people. The problem for Israel was, they got out of Egypt, but Egypt didn't get out of them. They were free, but they didn't consider themselves to be free. They considered themselves to still be a slave. And when we give... Sin, the time of day, when we give it a vote in our life, when we run little errands for sin, it's like we go back to that old slave master to come and control and dictate and dominate when we've actually died to that. Now God speaks our first language. We've entered into a new, new land of freedom. We hang on every word that God says. When he says he loves us, when he says he's for us, when he says he uh, will provide for us, when he says he will protect us, when he says we'll look after us, when he says I've set you free, we hang on every word of this new land, this new culture. We explore it and learn it and adjust to the culture, the lived out behaviour of heaven. How many of you, when you were first arrived in the United Kingdom maybe, had culture shock? You didn't understand Europe. You didn't understand the customs and why people do what they do and why they say what they say and why they queue like they queue and why are they just so annoyingly polite. (laughs) Anybody had culture shock? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We had culture shock when we arrived in Denmark. I don't understand it. I don't understand the language. I don't know why you do what you do, but I've got to adjust to this place. Or learn to adjust. Dear friends, that's what happens in Christ. We literally have gone from one land of being dictated to and enslaved to freedom. And the Christian's life is to explore freedom. It's to explore the land of love and the land of grace and the land of gentleness and the land of kindness and faithfulness and self-control. To to explore the land where God is king and sovereign and he is good. Like Janice said, it's filling up your whole life with the goodness and the kindness and the love of God hanging on every word that he speaks. Because we have been translated from death to life and the old has gone and the new has come. We're in a new land, in a new country with a new king and he is good and he releases life. 
In the old kingdom of darkness, we were enslaved and we were under a master who was cruel, who stole from us, who who was killing us and destroying us. And then we have crossed over from darkness to light into a brand new land with a wonderfully good master. And so we throw ourselves wholeheartedly to explore this life that we have in Christ. And as we do that, the freedom never stops. And so we sow and we walk and we live by the Spirit. We learn the language of heaven. We have a new master whose commands set us free. And so if you're here this morning and you're thinking, I don't yet know Christ. What Jesus is offering to you is freedom. Literal, radical freedom. You might say, I I feel free already. I do what I want to do when I want to do it. Thank you very much. I'm already free. I just want to humbly say to you that the fruit of that kind of freedom, dear friends, is nothing but death. And it might feel like freedom right now, but it will end it will end in eternal ruin. It feels right now that those abilities to choose and you think I'm not enslaved, I'm not dictated to, I'm not ruled by anything, I rule me. Dear friends, you don't. You don't. And this might be the only time you get to hear this. You right now are living in a kingdom that's called darkness. And there is a kingdom of freedom, of light and beauty that's awesome and glorious. And you cross over through faith in Jesus, not through getting yourself right, cleaning yourself up, Getting religious, keeping some rules. No, you get in through, you die in Christ. Spiritually, you come by faith into a new land, into new freedom. Amen. And dear Christian, live your life as a free man and a free woman. Make a decision even today to not run little errands for sin. I read an amazing article to finish with this week. That if someone told you that eating one ice cream could make you morbidly, dangerously obese, no one would eat ice cream ever again. If it was just one ice cream. Mm. Or if someone said, just one cigarette will destroy your body. Just one. The, the industry would be finished tomorrow. But no one says the cumulative effect of five ice creams today, five ice creams tomorrow, five ice creams the next day, six bag of chips today. No one's, because each day it doesn't feel like it's doing any damage until one day, ten years later, you think, ah, those small little choices. I'm reaping those small choices. If someone said just one negative thought to your about your husband or wife could end your marriage, people would be thinking, I've got to transform my mind and renew my mind right away. 
If it was just one thought that could wreck everything. But how many of us think just a little thought today, a little thought today, a little thought today, a little unforgiveness today, a little bit of bitterness today. Ten years goes by and those little thoughts become an awfully ugly big thing. Dear friends, live out your freedom to say no to sin. Don't run even little errands for sin. Don't give sin a vote in the way you live your life. Be radical in forgiveness. Be radical in generosity. Be radical in what you look at. Be radical in how you speak. Be radical where you spend your time. Don't run even a tiny errand for it. Because you might get away with it today. And you might get away with it tomorrow. And you might get away with it for a year. But eventually, those little choices will add up to something that will kill, steal and destroy you. So Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much that we have crossed over to a new land, with a new language, with a new master. We thank you that you are a master whose commands set us free. We thank you that you are so kind and that you are so generous and that you are so good. And we want to throw ourselves wholeheartedly and full time in exploring this beautiful new land, this beautiful new country, with a beautiful new language of grace. We want to give ourselves wholeheartedly. We thank you for the remarkable reality of the gospel. Amen. Amen.